Welcome back to this week's episode of the WRPF podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uslar. Episode 16th, I have very special guest, Samantha Rice, joining me. I'm super excited to finally get to connect with Samantha. I've been trying to get her to come down for the Ghost Clash the last couple of years. She's finally going to make it down next year. Samantha, I've been a huge fan of Samantha, seeing her dominate and climb the ranks uh, in a pretty short period of time. So, Sam, thanks for hopping on. Super excited to chat with you and just hear a little bit more of your history. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, we all know strong, strong mom. I know you have your daughter there with you right now. Um, so super excited to dive into things like how you balance family and training and all that kind of stuff. But let's start from the beginning. Where, 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 what was your athletic history before getting into powerlifting, before you started dominating the rankings? Where did you start? Uh, so I was a college soccer player, and that's when I first kind of got into the weight room. Um, we had a strength and conditioning program, uh, wasn't really all that big of a deal until about my senior year, whenever we got an actual legit, in my opinion, a coach in the weight room, like training us and whatnot. Um, and then after, you know, four years are up, it's like, okay, what now, what can I compete in? And, uh, I fell in love with the gym my senior year. And then I was actually going to be a graduate assistant at my college for the strength conditioning program and they didn't have a uh, scholarship program. So switched back to the soccer and I did, you know, my training on the side as well as coaching. Um, that was in and then I got into college. Was was college. college. So what were you doing in college, high school? Yeah. Soccer also throughout high school. Yeah. I was playing high school soccer and club soccer. So it was basically year round. I've been playing since I was four. Um, didn't really do, I tried T-ball. I hated it. Um, I tried volleyball. I hated it. Um, I even tried out for a cheerleading team, and that was <laughs> comical. Uh, needless, I didn't do that either. Uh, so I just stuck with soccer. And then, you know, I, I think my age, we grew up with Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain and them winning the World Cup and her ripping her jersey off. And, like, that's the, the dream I kind of had. Um, but then kind of in college, I guess, I don't know if it was just – the drama and politics, my social life, I kind of lost the the passion for soccer. So I'm kind of glad that I found a new outlet into weightlifting and training and stuff like that. Very cool. So in your high school career playing soccer, was there any kind of weight training involved? Not no, at all. Right? I think I remember, I think one or two times we went to the gym, but it was mainly just for the football players and the, you know, the was- boys sports. Yeah, I was going to say, was that because I didn't mean soccer is very male dominant as well, but was that more yeah. kind of the times where it was women weren't really in the weight room as much? It was much more male dominant. Yeah, not all. women. We were just told, go run. That was basically our workout was, hey, go do sprints, um, go on long runs. Like it was never anything strength based, which is now I think it's changed, thankfully, um, because I mean, strength training, you can prevent a lot of injuries, especially with women. Um, ACL tears, knee blowouts are like the biggest injury with women in sports. So it's like weight training can combat that. And, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we weren't really doing it. So when you, when you started college, where did you start seeing that shift in your college soccer career, so to speak, where you were playing that they started incorporating some of that, or were you incorporating that on your own first? So they would, they would have us do a strength conditioning, uh, two times a week 
we would go in, we all had the same program. We all did the same repetitions, same movement, stuff like that. And we, you know, wrote down what our weight was. Um, but it was just very, a lack of programming and structure kind of in my opinion. Um, Cause again, the main focus was on like the football team uh, guys basically. So it was, uh, it started changing a lot too. Cause I was just, I was tired of running. Like I hate cardio. I don't do cardio the last 10, ever since I stopped playing soccer, I stopped running. Um, so it was finding the barbell and moving weights just came naturally. And it was like, okay, this is it. Were you kind of like from that early on, were you like stand out when it came in the weight room that like everyone was like, whoa, what the hell? She's moving like crazy yeah. compared to all the other women on the team. Yeah, I was, I mean, this was, I was like 20, I was 20 when I first actually kind of really pushing weight 21 when I started kind of training on my own when I was a graduate assistant. Um, I mean, I was front squatting like 250. I was power cleaning, I think, like 155. Um, I remember the first time I bench pressed 135 because it was like the big weight. Um, but yeah, most of the other girls weren't. And I've always been kind of the bigger girl on the team already. So I think that kind of helped just with my, I was five, six, 180 pounds, I believe already then. So having kind of the size and already the muscle mass from soccer and whatever, because I've always kind of had big legs. Um, so that really helped. But yeah, my senior year, I actually got the um, the strength and conditioning award for like, we have the athletic banquet. And that's, I received that award my senior year because I was going to pursue strength and conditioning until I realized just the, the time and the salary of a strength and conditioning coach is just, I didn't realize how like poorly they get paid for how much work they do. Right. Especially division two. Like we had one strength conditioning coach and he had two or three assistants that didn't have any type of scholarship. So it was like basically him doing all the work from, you know, five, four or five o'clock in the morning until eight or nine at night. So it was, it was really hard to see his workload and try to be like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Cause it's like, nah, that was, was too much work. What year was this in your senior year? Um, 2000. 12 was when I graduated college. So were you familiar with like the term powerlifting back then? Powerlifting obviously was not no. mainstream at this point. It was just strength training, right? They had you it was CrossFit back then. It was more CrossFit. So even yeah. in school, it was CrossFit dominant. Yeah. So that's when I kind of transitioned because we had, I think, like three or four boxes. And I went to school in Ada, Oklahoma, the very small town, um, East Central University. It's a big, division two school. Um, we had like three or four different boxes out there and I'm not sure. I think it was a girl in one of my classes kind of told me about the CrossFit gym she was going to. And so I went and tried it out and it was kind of the only thing to do with a barbell at the time. So, and they did, they like, they did the Olympic weightlifting training and that's what I actually really fell in love with was like the clean and jerks and snatches, um, overhead squats back squats period. It wasn't actual powerlifting. It was kind of like the Olympic weightlifting type training that I loved. Um, so CrossFit kind of blended the two, but then, and I actually went and got my CrossFit L1 certification and I coached for about a year and a half. And I just, I liked it, but then I didn't like it. 
Um, and I couldn't see myself pursuing that sport just because I wasn't, I didn't have enough upper body strength. I didn't have the gymnastics background. Um, and so, and it really took a toll on my shoulders, like trying to do a butterfly pull up was like, um, so CrossFit was kind of like the, the lead in after college into kind of powerlifting. Cause then, um, one of the guys at the CrossFit facility I was training at, his son actually did, was into powerlifting. I was like, Oh, like what's powerlifting? He was like, Oh yeah, it's just squat, bench and deadlift. I was like, there's no running. There's no pull-ups. There's, you know, I'm not going to kill myself. He's like, no, yeah, you should should try it out. You seem pretty strong. Um, And it was just, it was a charity event. It's not even on open powerlifting. Uh, It was at Metroflex Fort Worth. uh, And I just remember I went with my mom for weigh-ins and I walked into the gym. I was like, holy shit. I mean, it's a massive gym. It's like the old school, hardcore, you know, Metroflex style. I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. And it's like from there on, I quit coaching CrossFit and moved back to Texas. And so that was kind of like the next. That's super cool. So that, that gym was in Texas, the Metroflex you went mm-hmm. to? And you'd it's never been Worth. exposed to like a gym environment like that in Oklahoma. There was yeah. these old school, sick, huge kind of gym. I'm pretty sure that Metroflex, is that still around? So, yeah, it's it's in Fort Worth. And the original is in Arlington where, you know, Ronnie Coleman, uh, Branch yeah. Warren's out here. But it's just. It's just funny to me because it's like I've lived in Fort Worth. I mean, I went to high school like 30, 40 minutes away from this gym and never heard of it. And then you go to college up in Oklahoma and then I hear about it. Like, okay, so I do need to move home. So I moved home specifically for that gym. So take me to that charity event that you did. Did you do any preparation for that? Or is you were just doing your CrossFit training and they're like, there's this event you can go sign up for. You're just going to hit as heavy as you can. Or what did that look like? There was, there was a little bit. Um, so at the time I was actually sponsored by lift big, eat big. It's, I don't know if that's even a relevant, you know, who he is now in the days, but, um, it was, it was, and I remember Instagram just started. It was like 2012. I got on Instagram as soon as it started and it's like started following all the fitness influencers, you know, followed Dana Lynn Bailey and all that other. And it's like, just, I kind of got absorbed into kind of the social media. And um, so he was like the, the first sponsor I had. And he was, I guess, a strong man, powerlifting type of person. And he kind of helped coach me a little bit. But uh, so I go into this meet. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. I didn't meet before that. Okay. So a little, sorry, I totally forgot about so I actually did a meet before that charity meet before coming to Fort Worth. And it was through one of the CrossFit gyms I was at. Um, and it was in Oklahoma. I just remember it was through NASA, the Natural Athlete Strength Association. Um, and so that meet was kind of just a, you register and go. I don't even think I registered. I think the owner registered all of us. as like the team. Um, I didn't have my singlet. I didn't have a pair of deadlift socks. Uh, I didn't know any of the commands. Um, and this was training with this gym for about three months because I was only there for three months. And then I left and I started coaching CrossFit in a different box. Um, but I totally forgot about this because of the gym it was at. It was, it was a super toxic gym. And like you everybody left after like memories. three months. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Um, and it's sad to say that like he, they were the first ones that got me into powerlifting because it just, anyways, who they were. 
but it was that was the one in Oklahoma, and it was my first meet. Uh, they had me cut, I think, like ten pounds. Um, like I said, I didn't have a singlet, so I had to borrow somebody's singlet. Um, apparently, I missed the 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 day that they went over all of the commands and whatever. Like, just super bad, just bad experience with this this whole place. But so that was my very first meet. Um, so the Metroflex meet was actually like I did. I did the registering. I looked up all the rules. I took it upon myself to coach myself. Um, and I think that's why to this day, I'm, I've never really used a coach is because of that, maybe that bad experience. Um, so that Metroflex meet, it was, it was a charity. It was a lift for lupus meet. Um, so we were, I guess they were collecting money for one of the gym members and his family that was doing battling lupus. Um, so they had just, the, I guess the powerlifting crew that was at Metroflex was the judges, the spotters and loaders. Um, but that one, I came in a lot more prepared and a little bit coached and well-rounded than that first meet that I clearly I've completely forgotten about. <laughs> Do you remember what your numbers were like in that first meet? Uh, the, the Oklahoma one or the Metroflex? Call it the Metroflex one. The Metroflex one. Um, so it's not on open powerlifting, but I think it was like a, I think I had a 315 squat without knee sleeves, just naked knee. Um, I think I did a, a 180 bench press and then a 405 deadlift because they didn't use kilos. It was just pound plates. That's big. So this is obviously, this is pre-2014 because you're open powerlifting. I love to have an open for all my guests. Starts in 2014, right? So yeah, I, that that's why the... you're, you're there doing CrossFit. I started CrossFit also in 2012 and I kind of went through that same kind of segue of stuff, but mm -hmm. there was no, I couldn't even deadlift four or five when I first started in 2012, you know? So just a little into it, you're already pulling four or five. That's definitely super, super impressive. So probably after that yeah. first, you knew like, this is where I should stay. It was, yeah, my squat and deadlift were definitely my biggest ones. Cause I had no upper body. Like we didn't train upper body through soccer you know I didn't want the big arms and big shoulders which obviously has changed but uh um my bench has come a long way mostly from everything yeah but, but yeah a, I a 180 bench is still pretty nuts also though but yeah I get you really yeah it is body weight at least so yeah exactly yeah. so take me through then moving to Texas and starting actually formal formally powerlifting and beginning to compete actively so uh at that Metroflex meet, I kind of met a guy who knew a guy. And when I moved back to Texas, I actually got pregnant my first month back. I moved back in with my parents to kind of get situated, like, hey, let's start a career and then I'll move out, et cetera. They're like, you know, let's take your time. We're glad you're home. You haven't been home in like eight years. So my mom was all for it. Um, so I got pregnant in January 2016. Total surprise, completely not kind of where I thought my projection was going, like with training, career. Um, so I kept training. I actually competed eight weeks pregnant in March, March or April. Um, and I won that meet just, you know, and I was like, okay, like I can still do this even though I'm pregnant. Um, so I lifted my entire pregnancy uh gave birth two weeks later I was back in the gym um and I was like you know I had a kid 
but I'm not, I don't want to just stop where I think my dream and what I want to go. I don't want to just, I guess, give everything up. Um, and Metroflex, thankfully, is kind of one of the only gyms around here that lets you bring your kids in. So I had her in her stroller with her little uh, tablet going, a fan, some snacks and everything like that. So I was five months postpartum when I got back onto the platform, which was another Metroflex meet. And, uh, and it just progressively got better. Um, and then getting ice. So I started getting into, I guess, the lifting heavy again and getting, I guess, my body back. Cause I mean, it, it throws everything off, obviously having a baby getting pregnant postpartum. Um, and then going through kind of a really hard time with, uh, her biological dad. It was super toxic. It was, he was a narcissistic, abusive type of person. Um, so having a gym with that was more therapeutic than everything. You can, you can say hi. Hi. Hi, sweetie. <laughs> She's like creeping around the camera. Like she wasn't talking about it. Um, so having the gym and then having her there with me too, it was, I guess that's kind of what pushed me a little bit more to kind of find, you know, you hear this whole reason, oh, my kids are my wife, like, but really she was like my everything. So it's like, uh, so my son's only 15 months now. Yeah. You don't know it until you know it, you know, exactly. It's, here you say it, it is the biggest cliche ever, but until you actually experience that feeling, if you guys are listening, you don't have kids and a lot of people in power yeah. don't. It's, it's kind of crazy how I was having this conversation with my wife, how few people our age actually have children, you know, like this new generational thing. But you don't know it until you know it. And when you know it, it changes everything, everything, everything. Yeah. So it's like and it's like. You think you think training is hard, but then you have to train on top of making time with everything else. And it's like, you know, I. I still thank God that Metroflex allowed kids to come or else, you know, I still, I still don't see how like the Globo gyms and stuff like that get by. Try, you know, you always have to multitask somehow. Always. Um, so then it's like going through, so going through that with, the dad and uh ended up actually like getting married for all of about six months and then going through a divorce and then some custody issues um it was just it was a lot on the plate right off the bat through pregnancy and the postpartum and then trying to train um but with metroflex it was it was a, it was a saving grace because then in 2018 2017 2018 i started training with the owner, Brindy Delacruz. Um, he has this little group of people that trains with him every single day. He basically do whatever he does. Just and then he was like, hey, you should uh you should prep for a show. I was like, nah, I don't want to be bodybuilding. Like I'm about lifting heavy weights. Like I like to eat. I like my food. I like my beer. Um he's like, no, you should do a show. So it kind of that gave me another distraction outlet, therapeutic source, and kind of a kind of a fuck you to the X. Um, so in 2018, I actually did a powerlifting meet again in March. And then I did a physique show. It was the Phil Heath Classic as just 
kind of a bucket list thing. And it was, I think that kind of gave me the, the confidence back. And then from there, it was just straight shot projected up. up. Hyper focus, yeah. got all the toxicity behind you. Yeah. Good. I, I love to hear that. I love to hear that. That's uh, it's a crazy start because in, in a lot of ways, powerlifting, it's it's be, everyone knows you in this scene. You're one of the best in the world, ranked number four women all time in sleeves and still climbing it up. And that's a crazy story. A lot of people, you hear them when they began, it was just all fun and games, lifting, mm-hmm. competing. You know, they're in their early 20s, their late teens, and it's all it's all easy. But you were able to overcome all that stuff and that be your outlet and then ultimately not let it become something that after you overcome that, it just associated with bad memories or whatever it is. It stayed so positive. So that's that's very cool to see. Very, very cool. Yeah, I, I don't really talk about it much because it's like I don't like, bringing stuff up from the past and you still kind of have to relive it. Cause it's like, uh, two, yeah, two years ago, um, I have full custody. So it's like out of mine, it's, we've moved on completely. So it's like, it's just, it was that, it was that stepping stone of getting over, I guess that, that really tall fucking mountain that <laughs> you just have to yeah. climb. And then it's like smooth sailing from there. Well, just to throw another cliche out there, it's like I've been through, I have a super, super rocky, super, super bad past from when I was a teenager. And it's, I say it all the time because people are like, oh man, all that stuff you went through. I'm like, nah, like, don't feel bad. Like, I'm happy I went through it because it molded and created and had everything come together with what it is today, you know? And if you can have that positivity, positivity and look at the positive and get over that mountain, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, all of it is worth it. All of it is totally worth yeah. it. I appreciate you sharing all that with yeah. everyone and myself. So getting back into your career. So looking at like 2019, then is that when you'd say the the climb really, really started 2019 is you hit your first 500 dots, which at that time, pretty damn elite. But like we said, right now you're number four. So you're all, all the way at six yeah. right now. So that was already very, very elite. So kind of take me through your training and how you got to that point where you're at, which was a very, very elite point, but you were able to keep climbing up from there. So I have to look at open powerlifting too, because I kind of forget. Um, <laughs> so before that, so that was the depth meet. Um, before that, I actually got to do the USPA tribute meet, where that was kind of the first ever big meet that I was actually, I saw and I competed in. Like that was when Cece competed and Mariana, Chloe, and it was like, I think it was the first time. I think John Hack was there. It was the first time seeing all these really big John Hack, Kevin Oak, everyone competed that year. That was the year that Tim debuted a bunch of the ghost combos on that platform. And then they had to switch them out halfway through the meet because he fucked up the design. The spotter platform was all. They were literally knocking it, like trying to break it apart. And like, uh, yeah, that was was pretty (laughs) funny in the warm-up room. Like, what is going on up there? So Uh, that was kind of like the first taste of like, Okay. And I think I like got second to last at that meet. I mean, but, and that was the first meet that I kind of psyched myself out for thinking all these big names are here. Like I am nothing. Like I'm not going to do this, this, and this, but it was the meet that I got my first 500 pound deadlift that I had. That was like a really big goal of mine. Um, but after that meet, I was like, okay, why did I freak myself out? Like, why did I psych myself out? Like this, they're all doing the same lifts. We're all here doing the same thing. And it's like, I think that's, what I've kept in my head too going forward. It's like all these big meets people get so strung out about. And it's like, really, we're just squat bench and deadlifting just like any other day, any other meet. And it's like, you get too much of mental, I don't know, meh 
going on, um, it affects your training. So after that meet, I kind of was like, you're, you're meant to be here. You're strong enough for it. Just keep training and progressing. Um, and that was that meet. And then the depth meet was my last two like natural meets. Um, and then I started supplementation. I don't really want to go too much into that, but, um, but that's when I started the supplements and stuff like that. And that's when I saw the progression get better. Um, along, obviously they don't do anything if you don't train right. So putting that with the training, um, I don't want to say nutrition because I still eat like crap, but the training got more consistent. It got, I got less scared of pushing the heavier weight. Um, because at that tribute meet, and I think I ended up at death meet, I had people, I had my boyfriend calling my numbers. I was like, I don't want to know the number. Just put the number there and I'll lift it. Cause I was still very much mentally psyched out all the time. Um, and after that, I guess that's kind of when my mentally it, it shifted. And I think that's how I got even stronger. So my, now my mental caught up with my physical. Yeah, that that's awesome. And it's, it all comes down to, I mean, your genetic base, you had an athletic, you know, for people listening and hearing the little things that you said, you had an athletic background, you got to an extremely elite level and had built a lot of mental strength as it was, even though you still had that self doubt and built a fantastic base where you were ready to kind of start dominating what you have dominated that world. So then looking into that, that next meet that you did, that looks like that was your first meet in knee wraps, right? Or is that correctly? Yeah, that was, uh, that was just to go to the Arnold. Honestly. Um, one of my friends at Metroflex, he had gone to the Arnold, I think the year before. Yeah. The year before we went, I went to the Arnold and just watched him. And, uh, I was like, I want to go to the Arnold. Like I want to compete at the Arnold. So I'd actually qualified through, the tribute with the numbers with, I guess the, the dots or the Wilkes or whatever they accepted. And so I got, that's when I qualified and I was like, all right, well they combined sleeves and wraps into one division RPS. Yeah. XPC, same shit. XPC. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, well, why do they do that? Like it's two completely different squats. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to do wraps and squat more. Um, so yeah, training for that was kind of cool. And then actually going and experiencing. And that was that was probably the best Arnold because it was during COVID. Well, that was the worst Arnold. What are you there. talking about? Yeah, oh, it was the best. There. It was the best. I had front row seat to the strong man and saw Thor like 10 feet away from me. I didn't have to like throw That's elbows and I was able to see all that too, but what was BS, I was able to get passes from Thor's coach, uh, Sebastian, but they weren't allowing anyone, unless you were an athlete to some of the events, they weren't letting any spectators into those. Those were completely private. We were able to get like these VIP passes, luckily, and experience all of that. But that was like super out of left field, how that Arnold came. I loved it. (laughs) You were able to still experience it. So many people had their all their tickets ready to see all this stuff yeah. it was I, I will say that was very cool getting because I watched all the strongman events too I didn't really watch much of the powerlifting that year um mm-hmm. I watched all those strongman events and that was very cool to be able to experience in that in that atmosphere yeah I think because uh, one of my uh sponsors Blackstone he said he lost like fifty thousand dollars in his booth rental and they didn't pay any of it back or you know do for it and the next year it was like all right, 50 grand just gone. So it's like that, that really sucks how much money that was put in that they didn't get back. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, it was nice as an athlete not having to fight for bathrooms or food or when you go out afterwards, like there's like a fourth of the people out. I think we had like 10 people on my plane because nobody right. got on the flight. Yeah, so yeah that was that was that was a fun, fun meet. It's 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 kind of crazy just on a side tangent because I I don't know if the Arnold will ever return to what it previously was because in that next year 2021 we went we had a booth and it just it just wasn't the same it it just hasn't yeah. been the same since then you know having the things yeah. like the cage and all that stuff but yeah, yeah. I missed the cage because in 2018 when I went just to like watch uh it was I don't I don't think it it may or may not have been whenever. Steffi, Bama, CC, and uh, Mariana got on the cage. That was 2019. 2018 was the year that Steffi deadlifted 545. Uh, okay. 2019 was the year that she squatted. And I think all 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 those ladies. Okay. Yeah, because I was. I may have been competing when all of that was. Yeah. Exactly. I thought that was pretty cool too. But yeah, I missed the cage, like the grunt lifting. Um, but I know was it. Uh, because I know Hunter and Briani just did something lifting wise. At what expo was that? The FitCon or something like that? I think so. I think that was like the they tried doing the Rhino Cage or something. something. Yeah, yeah. So anyone out bring there, something if, back. If you have the resources. Let's bring it back. You know. Yeah. Want to see that again? Yeah. So looking at your open powerlifting history, there's not a whole lot of history. There is some rap sprinkled in there. But as we said, after yeah. you meet, you already hit your first 550 dots. And from there, it was just a constant climb up, right? With a mix of wraps in there, but primarily raw, right? Yeah. So you had a lot of breakout meets in raw over the last two years where you got over that 600, uh, 600 pound dots, right? Mm -hmm. so, so I like raw just because... Really yeah, go ahead. That's exactly what I, I was going to ask you. Yeah, I just like raw because um, I self-wrap. I'm super OCD about control and wanting to minimize i guess the errors so it's like wraps uh, i try to have eric try to wrap me one time he's like no nah, i'm not doing it because i was just staring at him the entire time he was wrapping he's like no nah, i'll just let you do it i was like okay so i guess raw for me i'm more comfortable and i feel more in control of my squat than when i wrap but i mean wraps you're obviously going to get anywhere from 50 to 150 pounds more out of your squat so it's like now I'm, i, I kind of want to transit especially for the american pro um since christy and hunter are both doing wraps i was like well you know i, I gotta compete against the best of the best while we're all under one roof so it's like that's why i went wraps because i was really debating about whether just going sleeves um but i would really like the competition aspect was for me it's like i want to compete against christy i want to compete against hunter so it's like i'll go wraps so that's a perfect segue to start talking about the American pro. Cause obviously I, I know all that I've been seeing all that and been very excited yeah. to see that. So you haven't competed in rap since uh, the U S open, right? The Two 2021 U S one, which was the first one back great year. I was there. That was, a, that was a super awesome cop squatted a massive five seventy two, right? Two sixty in wraps at that point. You've since over, you've done more than that now in sleeves. What was your sleeve squat like at that point when you squatted at 572 to where your sleeve uh, is now? I think it was, I mean, four months prior to that, I hit a 529 in, oh no, that was wraps. Shit. Uh, I hadn't squatted 500 in sleeves yet. It was, it was probably around like 
four. I mean, the 485 was the meet before that almost a year. I mean, it was like, it was probably close to 500 raw. Um, but I probably wouldn't have been comfortable hitting a 500 raw at that time. That's crazy to think. So knowing that now, have you done any rap training since then? Or now is when the rap training is beginning for the American pro. It's, it's beginning now. <laughs> um, so with wraps, I will say I, I'm not going to be like Hunter and get like a hundred pounds out of it. I, I know the way I squat, it's not going to be that maybe that significant, but I'm definitely shooting for something around like 650 to like 675 would be great. Um, cause again, I wrap myself, I train myself. Sometimes I'm training in the garage in my little mono Titan arm. So it's like having, having somebody else for wrapping would definitely be more beneficial. Um, but given where I'm at and like my schedule and obviously like money, you know, I don't have enough money to pay 500, $600 a month for coaching and handling and stuff like that. So it's like taking it upon myself is going to be kind of the hardest part of figuring out wrapping and then under the bar. And sometimes I don't even have a spotter. So it's like, um, so we'll see American pro. I'm definitely shooting projecting at least 650. That's yeah, exciting. That's exciting. So while we're on the subject of the American pro wraps, all that, that is some of my questions I wanted to get into is overall looking at the American pro, you were pushed to do that, that wraps, because like you said, that's where the competition is. That's not where the easy win is. Historically, you've already hit a 644 dots in sleeves, right? What mm -hmm. do you project overall? What are your goals going into that? I mean, of course, you got to put your mind on the money and you want to win, right? Well, have you already kind of yeah. track of what needs to happen to take, you know, dethrone Christy Hawkins from that number one all time? Uh, to dethrone Christy would be uh, insane. Um, that uh, it would be awesome to kind of think in that aspect. Um, but realistically, it's like I would, I'm shooting for like a 700 dots if, if I could get up there. Um, I think the main thing basically with any meat going into it, it's like you just want to come in healthy. You know, it, it's going to make or break people, especially since it's going to be a session meat instead of that long, you know, eight or nine to five type of meat. It's going to be a lot shorter. So it's like, you know, the risk for injury or the risk for fatigue. And stuff like that is going to take, I think, more of a more of an impact than I think what people are kind of wanting to talk about. Because um, it's like, you know, you, we're squatting stupid heavy weight. And then an hour or two later, we're going to be pushing heavy weight. So I think it's going to really come down to who comes in maybe the best condition um, for lifting as well as um, weight to body weight. Because Christy's going to be lighter probably than all of us. Um, Hunter probably come in at around, you know, the 180, 175, and then I'm cutting down to 181. So it's like, if I can make that cut, um, you know, the last few meets I, I hit, ask you on that subject is your body weight, yeah. you've always been between a weight class. So does that have all mm -hmm. your historically, what we're seeing you've cut before those first meets where they push you to cut, do you kind of just walk in and what you weigh in is what you weigh in at? No. So I walk around and train at about like 200, 205. Um, and then I've water cut anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds. 
Um, with me though, it's like my water cuts aren't, they don't get very severe because I stay relatively, I guess, big. So it's easier for me to retain it because I'm not lean. I'm not super, super lean. So I have water to lose. Um, and I'm able to get that water back on. And so when I go to compete, I don't feel much fatigue or cramping or anything like that. So thankfully I'm able to cut like that without too much repercussions in my lifts. But, uh, for this me, I'm definitely going to have to like dial in my nutrition more. Um, so I still, you know, pizza, hamburgers, beer, stuff like that. So it's like, I don't, I don't diet like I should. And I think that would help me more. Okay, well, I can't do anything about it. I put a tree on. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's itchy. Um, but yeah, it's, and then probably cutting off all alcohol and soda. So it's like the nutrition aspect this time around is probably going to be the biggest game changer for me going into the American Pro. And then even going into your meet, I registered as a 181 raw again because it's like, I forgot who. Maybe, I think it was Bama whenever she retired. She's like, you know, I can lift weight and I can add five or 10 pounds more and beat my own record. But like, how fun is that? Like, okay, what's that? Because for me, it's like, okay, I'm a 198. I hold the number one spot, you know, wraps and wall. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I can either go to 220 or I can go to 181. It's like, I need something else to shoot at other than just breaking my own record. So it's not really fun anymore. And at 181, it's uh, Hunter who holds those records, right? CC. CC, so that's right, of course. Yeah. yeah of yeah. course, still the untouchables, right? Yeah. If I so could. Looking at, if those, I could looking, at the, looking at these next two meets, is that also part of those goals is breaking those, besides dots, getting that, that 700 potential dots, breaking those all-time world records at 181? Yeah, it's trying to take that weight class as well. Um and then even, even looking at maybe a 220, because I was, I was talking to Eric, like, it'd be really cool. And I don't know if anybody's done this before is to hold three different weight class within maybe a year of competing with it. And it's like, that would be kind of something really cool to put on the resume of, you know, 181, 198 and 220, number one all time. Like that would be really fucking cool. I love it. So that gets into the next question that I have is just those overall all the long-term goals, right? Because the way it gets is you're still, you're still making constant progress because you're still very relatively, I guess, new compared to someone like Christy Hawkins, right? Who's been competing a, a very long time in power. Yeah, yeah exactly. So seeing those goals, you have your eyes set on these short-term goals that are very realistic based on your rate of progress, but long-term beyond that, like what are some of those long-term goals that you just mentioned that the three weight classes and how long do you see yourself still pushing competitive powerlifting? Um, I don't want to get to the point, you know, God love him, but Ronnie Coleman, I don't want to get to that point. Um, I, I still want to be able to, you know, go and do things with my daughter and feel a little bit like, you know, go to the trampoline park and not worry about twisting my ankle or my knee. Like we went a couple weeks ago. I was like, okay, I can't really do anything because I'm in yeah. prep right now. So like I, you know, after those goals, like, okay, she'll be older. So it's like more geared towards little pop it things from me. Um, geared towards, you know, if she gets into sports or, you know, her middle school, high school, like more, I guess about her realistically, I'll still be training, maybe not competing as, competitively um 
because it does take a lot of time. It takes a lot of stress. Um, you know, I'm not really the easiest person on a meat prep. I've gotten better over the years, but uh, yeah, just more family time, I guess. Maybe start up kind of like Bama, get into coaching a little bit more, be able to travel. Um, the thought of bodybuilding is there, but again, that I feel like bodybuilding is even more time consuming and selfish a little bit in that kind of the, the narcissistic type aspect of constantly looking in a mirror and posing and worrying about when you're eating next. And especially, I mean, you already life. hinted you're like me where you like your food, you like your flexibility. There's one thing dialing it in enough for powerlifting, but, but dialing it in for bodybuilding, like Briani, Instagram stories and stuff like that. It's out of control. Crazy. Yeah. Right? Like plastic bag yeah. chicken is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you for me. I'm good. I I'll feed you my gal. Please go watch. Five she hasn't bothered me in the last. No, she's minutes. good. <laughs> she's been watching the new miraculous movie, so she's content. <laughs> Love it. Last, so last, last couple of questions. What do you? Th- what would you say so far in your career of powerlifting is your proudest achievement? Um, is probably the first Pioneer Open because that was the first. Well. The current, I won some money for winning my weight class, but the Pioneer is whenever I won the overall. And I think it was like eight or $9,000. And I was just like, you know, we're not used to money in this sport. So I think that was kind of like the most badass kind of how I felt. I felt, I was like, you know, I won this a lot of money and uh, I got one of those like really cool belts, the little champion belt things. So I, that was probably one of my most favorite moments um in powerlifting um and obviously you know the hybrid winning 20 grand and beating hunter was like okay that was kind of a surreal moment too um but i think the next few meets in the future are going to probably take the cake because of just where i want to go in powerlifting so it's like the, the slow progression of becoming among the best has kind of been just overall my favorite of you know, seeing these people that I idolize at the tribute and now I'm up there with them. So right. it's like not the whole anything is possible, but anything is possible. So it's like take the years, do the training, be consistent. And it's like you can you can be at the top with your idols. I love it. I love it. I think I already know the answer to this question, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Going into the American Pro powerlifting in general, do you have any direct rivals or any rivalries? Um, I mean, obviously everyone is, Christy has a target on her back. You know, she's at the top. Uh, I know she's shooting to try to beat Mariana because I think at her last meet, you know, I messaged her after her meet. I was like, Hey, great job. She's like, I was, she said like, you know, it's just, she was so close to being Mariana that it's like, forgot her exact word, but it's like, you know, she's, she's the one that we're chasing, um, aside from Mariana, but you know, so that's there. And then, um, I've been chasing the deadlift all-time world record as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm slowly etching up there. And I know Tamara and uh, Sarah, Sarah, the one who holds it now, are going to be there. But they're doing the raw day. So it's right. like seeing them and being there with them as well. It's like trying to get up there with them as well. So it's like obviously Christy. And then you have the all-time world record deadlifters there as well. So it's like both of them are kind of who I'm looking at 
but realistically it's like you you stick to your game plan like i i have my numbers already written out that i have projected um i'm not going to try to play the the game of trying to mix up attempts and then kind of ruin my plan that i already had um so sticking to what i have with the hopes that it's enough or close i mean if you come anywhere close to christy you're 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 solid so I love it. So safe to say also in those long-term goals, maybe for the American pro, maybe long-term is you want to try to take that heaviest women's deadlift of all time. Yeah. Even though it's sumo, and I'm sure I'm going to get a bunch of crap about that, but yeah, it's, well, if it's I not feel like it could be pro, there. We got tons I, of the ghost. Yeah. Crash, so I'm very, it'll be raw, raw meat. So hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, Sam, it was super cool touching base with you. Thank you for hopping on. Every Almost every single one of my guests, it's been about the American Pro. There's going to be so many battles. I'm very excited to be there in person. Very excited to meet you, see it all unfold. I wish you a very healthy and happy prep. Sign out Thank for you. us. Let us know where everyone can find you on social media and such. I'm Samantha Rice. I am Quads Like Mom on Instagram. And uh, I'll see you at the American Pro and at the Ghost next year in Miami. Boom. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the WRPF podcast.